And now, more tips with your host, Rebecca, on lifestyle improvement. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part three of our interview with Dr. Jed Baker. Dr. Baker is a psychologist and the director of the Social Skills Training Project, a private organization serving individuals with autism and social communication difficulties. He's on the professional advisory board of Autism Today and several other autism organizations. He's an international instructor on the subject of social skills training and managing of challenging behaviors. He's an award-winning author of nine books. Among them is the book titled, No More Meltdowns, Positive Strategies for Managing and Preventing Out-of-Control Behaviors. So the point being that I think good behaviorism really does look at the triggering situation too. Uh, what happens in practice is sometimes people focus only on the reward side, the consequence side, and they miss the, the trigger. Uh, and that not, that's not necessarily um, just what ABA is. That's maybe half of ABA. <laughs> it's, it's not a full picture. I had uh, an author uh, speak to us uh, a while ago. He's uh, the author of the book, Uniquely Human. And yeah, yeah. And one of the things... I know Barry very well. Oh, he's a fantastic person. Yes, Uh, he is. And, you know, I think that what is so truly significant there is that I think we're coming to a place where we're having to realize that some people are going to see the world a little different. And so when we look at those triggers, that's going to give us a different view of what's going on, which may not match the general population, correct? That's right. And I think also what Barry's responding to um, with regards to sort of that reward consequence approach mm-hmm. is is people who to some extent misuse ABA. Um, so, we, you know, ABA has given us a lot of really good strategies, but like anything else, it can be misused. Mm-hmm. It can be done by people who are more novice and don't have all, all the experience and have a very limited view of here's a behavior. We want to reward the positive behavior. Mm-hmm. We want to punish the negative behavior. Um, and there's been a history where people have misused it. They've used aversives and punishment. And so this is, you know, uh, this is not good behaviorism. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that ABA itself, the concept is 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 entirely faulty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in school. Behaviorism meant two different things, uh, one with a capital B, one with a lowercase b. And uh, the I forget which was which, but basically <laughs> one of them was anything related to operant conditioning, classical conditioning, that's behaviorism. But the other form of behaviorism was anything that we can measure, that we can see sort of change in behavior. Um, if we have scientific evidence that this works, uh, that's a behavioral technique. If there's no way to measure whether it's working, well, then we we don't have the evidence, right? So <clears throat> the reason that's important is fields like cognitive behavioral psychology, where we begin to think about thoughts. For example, we have a kid who's getting teased, and we say to that kid, hey, listen, when that kid teases you, it's really his problem. He's upset because he's failing and all other things, and that's why he's taking it out on you and everybody else. So don't believe what he says. If that intervention of telling this 
this kid, this kind of thing, changing his thoughts and his interpretation of the kids teasing him. If that leads to um, a change in this kid hitting that kid back, like he's no longer striking back Mm -hmm. and he's able to cope better with it. Mm -hmm. um, Well, that's scientific evidence that that intervention works. But we're, we're talking about people's thoughts and interpretations. Right. Uh, and the former view of, of behaviorism, what they call black box behaviorism, um, people didn't want to talk about thoughts. And that's very limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, classical conditioning, operant conditioning can give us lots of information, but they're not the only theories in the world. And we shouldn't only be constrained by two theories. What we should be constrained by is what has evidence, right? What's going to help? All that said, I think the fact that your particular approach starts with empathy because the accepting of self and the child is that crucial. I yeah. think that really colors how the entire process goes from that point on. And I, I think that, that that makes it very unique in that way. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I um, appreciate the way you articulated that because I think that is the basis of what we're saying. No matter what behavioral strategy you have, if there isn't trust, if there isn't hope, if there isn't that positive relationship, a good luck making things work. Uh, I learned that a long time ago, not only with my own kids, but all the kids that I, that I work with, you know, um, we, we have to be able to, uh, you know, build trust that I, I can help make things better for you, not worse for you. Right. Uh, and I love what Barry has to say about this. We can all make things worse. <laughs> and, and so we have to be very careful. Mm-hmm, At mm-hmm. first, we do no harm. Exactly. You know? yeah. Because it starts with connection, and it really does. And really, that connection is the uh, precursor of whatever yeah. else happens in that relationship. So you have another book, and if you wanted to touch a little bit on that, we have some time. Yeah, sure. I have a book out on overcoming anxiety in children and teens. Uh-huh. And I wrote this book in part because, you know, one of the things I do is, is teach social skills. But we had lots of kids who had developed pretty good skills, but they weren't using them. They were too anxious to use them. So a lot of our kids on the spectrum have a tremendous amount of social anxiety. But we also have kids with OCD who maybe have germ phobias or checking issues or intrusive, negative, worrisome thoughts that they can't get rid of. Or they might have um, – a lot of kids with selective mutism, they can talk, but they won't talk in front of certain people. Kids with um, uh, school uh, refusal, so afraid to go to school or separation anxiety, afraid to separate from their parents. And so there are panic disorder and all kinds of other uh, health-related anxiety disorders where they won't uh, you know, uh, go to dental appointments or see a doctor for fear of needles and things like that. And so these anxieties can sort of be quite limiting uh, for, for folks to be able to reach their goals and, and function. So what the reason I wrote the book is um, I wanted to talk about both the art and science of anxiety treatment because the science was very clear that if you have a fear of something that truly isn't dangerous, then the way to overcome the fear is by gradually facing that fear. It's called gradual exposure therapy. So there's tons of studies showing that people face their fears, they gradually get over it. Well, terrific. How do you get someone to do that? That's the art of therapy. You know, if you're afraid of something, how are you going to win somebody over to do that? So I try to show in the book through lots of real-life case examples how we win people over to partner with us to help them gradually face some of their fears. Step one of that is, let me give you a typical example of what happens for us. 
a parent comes in and says, hey, my kid is washing for five hours before they go to high school and they're missing most of the day because they have an OCD ritual and it's taking them hours. And I need you to help me fix that. And the kid comes in and says, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. That's how usually things get started. And so the first step is how am I going to win over this young man or young woman to partner so that they can uh, not necessarily overcome OCD, but get it to a point where it's not in the way anymore. The beauty about challenges is we don't have to overcome challenges. Challenges aren't the thing that take us places. It's our strengths and talents. Challenges are just things that we don't want to be in our way. So the place that I usually start with kids all my clients is talking about their talents, their abilities, what's right with them. Let's talk about what's right with you, what's going really well. And from that point, we develop that theme again, hope. With all these talents and strengths, look at the future that is in front of you. And that's why this challenge of washing for five hours, we don't want that to get in your way because you're a brilliant young man or you have this going for you or that going for you. And so let's just bring that down. Maybe we'll get it down to an hour and a half. That's doable. Then you can get to school. Um, so that's the first step. The second step is then to educate folks about anxiety, to educate them about that reptilian brain limbic system um, that can lead to true alarms, right? A car is coming to hit you. That's a true alarm. Get out of there, but can also lead to false alarms, so we want to introduce that word of false alarms, that there's a part of their brain that in some ways uh, lies to them, says danger, danger, when there isn't an actual real danger. Your, your body responds as if there is. Um, so just introducing that word allows kids to maybe step back from their anxiety response and look at it. Here I am having that false alarm again. Okay? And the only way you'll know it's a false alarm is if you gradually face the fear and find out nothing bad happens. But because it's really hard to face the fear, we're not going to ask you to face the greatest fear all at once. We're going to create a, a ladder. We call it a fear ladder uh, of sort of least to then sort of most fearful to overcome it. So let's say we have someone who's selectively mute. They can't talk. Maybe the first rung on the ladder is – I mean, they're, they're able to talk, but they won't because they're fearful, right? Maybe the first rung on the ladder is simply to um, nod yes or no or point to a, a card that says yes or no. Maybe the next rung on the ladder is to whisper to the one peer that they do talk to and let that peer talk to the teacher for you. Maybe the third rung on the ladder is to whisper in a little voice to the teacher. Maybe the fourth rung on the ladder is to talk in a normal voice to the teacher and so on. For young kids – Often they need rewards to face each step of the ladder. For young kids or folks who may not have um, wonderful abstract thinking, they might need a concrete reward that every time you face that fear on the ladder, you get points towards a reward. For those who are older or have pretty good abstract thinking, they might see the intrinsic payoff. They might not need an external reward. I run a social anxiety group for kids in a, in a local school here, and those kids say to me, Dr. Baker, I don't need a reward anymore uh, for calling my friend to get together. I'm just happy that I'm overcoming my fear. I don't feel hostage anymore to it. So they understand the intrinsic payoff. You know, That's the reward in and of itself. This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. What if there was 
as a way to help your struggling child perform better academically. Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. The other way we try to get people to face fears is through what we call CBT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy. And the, and the gist of that is to get kids to take a scientific approach to their worrisome thoughts, to say, is this a real danger? Like, what's the evidence for that? And there's a long list of sort of cognitive distortions, cognitive errors that people might make when they're worried, but we distill it down to just two questions that I think are quite helpful. One of my colleagues, Ron Rapay in Australia, uh, talks about using these sort of two questions to challenge, um, you know, worrisome thoughts. Question number one is, is my worry, is it, is it that I'm overestimating how likely it is that something bad will happen? Or number two, am I overestimating how severe it would really be if it happened? Here's an example for a kid with OCD. So he, has a hand, he has fears of germs. He overestimated the likelihood of getting germs inside of his body, right, uh, from touching doorknobs or touching a pencil or public items. He overestimated the likelihood of getting germs inside his body because he has skin. And from a scientific point of view, skin blocks the germs from getting in your blood system unless you wash so many times that you crack the skin, you know, and then a germ gets in. He also overestimated how severe it would be if a germ entered his body. That was the other you know, part of it because uh, most of the germs out there uh, are not lethal. Ebola really didn't make it. They're cold viruses. There might be a temporary stomach virus, which is uncomfortable, but you get over it. It's temporary. So we created a think like a scientist cue card. So in the book, we, we create these think like a scientist cue cards for all these different anxiety situations that repeat themselves for kids. And that little card is a way of challenging their worry to get them to begin to then face the fears on the fear ladder. Now, there are other things that can reduce anxiety enough to get kids to begin to face their fears on the fear ladder. Um, one is exercise, aerobic exercise. 30 minutes of aerobic exercise has been shown to, in a number of studies to be as effective as anti-anxiety medication uh, and, and has a, a very powerful effect. And a, a recent study combined aerobic exercise with another really good tool, mindfulness meditation. There's a study out of Rutgers University, kids with major depression, exercise for 30 minutes. Uh, well, first they, had, they did some mindful meditation for uh, – I forget how long, maybe 30 minutes, and then exercised after that for 30 minutes, and they had a 40% reduction in symptoms, a large, significant, and clinically significant effect in reducing their anxiety and depression. The point is, these are two things that are free, they cost nothing, 
They should be part of everybody's lifestyle, but they significantly reduce anxiety. And incidentally, they also increase attention, learning, and memory for kids with ADHD. Most of the kids that I work with, I try to get them on an exercise program of some kind. They don't have to be an athlete. Maybe it's just going to walk the dog for an hour or jog for 30 minutes or 20 minutes, right? Um, but my point is that the idea of mindfulness is to be able to focus your attention on whatever's happening in the moment. So if we focus on our breathing, if we focus on a sensation, focus on a sound we're hearing, whatever it is, for that second that you're doing that, you're not worried about the future, you're not regretting the past, and it seems to refuel our energy and lead to a sense of well-being. The thing that I like about mindfulness meditation is that our children can get free apps, go to websites, put in their headphones at bedtime or in the morning, and that can become then later, they can also use that as a tool so that if they're anxious, they know how to then focus on something in the moment to help them get relaxed again. I use it every Monday morning. Monday morning is statistically the number one day for heart attacks because people are facing the whole week. So every Monday morning, I think of all the things I have to do and I start to get worried and then I just take a moment to feel my body uh, press uh, putting pressure on my Tempur-Pedic topper because I can't afford the whole mattress. You know, it's expensive, but that's just the topper. <laughs> And I just feel the body like pushing in and that just grounds me for a moment, takes my mind off the future or the past just for a second, catch my breath, and then I can go on with my day. Um, so there's also besides mindfulness meditation exercise, neurofeedback has been shown to be helpful. Uh, possibly we need really more research on it. There's some controlled research. But there's also studies showing no effect, so we need more research on it. But it's, it's certainly a promising approach. And look, medication can reduce anxiety, um, but it always comes with a side effect profile. And so the issue of medication is um, if you're not getting any way to sort of face that fear, you might think of medication as a tool if the side effect profile is low enough. And realize that it could be a temporary tool because mm -hmm. sometimes kids can get on a medication, lower their anxiety, start to face the fear. Once they face the fear, they get over that fear and then you can reduce the medication or get them off the medication. So it doesn't always have to be a long-term thing. You know, and talking about the steps that you're talking about is using this for kids that are working through fears. Caregivers have to deal with a lot of their own personal fears on a daily basis as they're dealing with people that are potentially having health care issues that could be life-threatening. So yeah. those are fears that also have to be very real for the caregiver as much as probably a child. Maybe different antecedents, but definitely the same biological reactions, correct? And yeah. things like the exercise and definitely the being present and the breathing can be something that can be utilized as well by, by caregivers or parents, correct? Absolutely. It's what I was talking about before. I mean, I play basketball, I play the drums, I meditate, and these are all things I do to get myself in a better state before I approach some challenging situations. And when I talk about dealing with anxiety, I'm not talking about you know, candy coating things. There are real dangers out there too. Some of our, some of our clients can, can be aggressive sometimes and that's a real issue. And so, but there's a difference between planning and worrying. Mm -hmm. 
worrying is not particularly useful. Like, what if this happens? What if this, I don't know. But planning is useful. Like if I am going to approach someone who could could potentially be aggressive and hit me, pinch me, scratch me, uh, I do want to take precautions. I want to plan for that. But if I obsess over it in a worrisome way, that's not particularly useful, uh, a a good use of my time. So planning for the reality is, but uh, worrying about uh, am I doing the right thing? Is this going to happen? What's going to happen? You know, that that might that kind of spinning endlessly Mm -hmm. doesn't get me anywhere. What I heard you say from the beginning was that you help people create a self-awareness that gives them a sense of reality and then a vision to kind of shoot for as far as as they heal towards becoming stronger and more able to deal with their fears. Yeah. I mean, I I think that the idea of exposure therapy is to find out you're much more capable than you thought you were. Um, And people don't always know it until they, you know, actually experience it. That's perfect. Mom and dad can always say, oh, you can do this, you can do it, but they don't know it until they've done a little bit of it. And Oh, look at that. I can handle this. Right. Perfect. Thank you so much. Dr. Baker, you are a fountain of knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And um, you've given us so much to think about here with both of your books. So what I would like you to do here at the end is to do me a favor and, again, share where the books can be purchased. I also would like you to elaborate a little bit on how people can get a hold of you if they have questions for you, if they want to maybe do consultation with you or maybe bring you for uh, instruction. You also do webinars. So go ahead and expand on that. Sure thing. Yes. If people need to reach me or want to find out where I'll be presenting um, to contact me for consultation or to get my books, you can visit... uh, uh, both of my websites. So my publisher set up my name, jedbaker.com. Uh, so that's an easier one to remember. And that has all my books on it. It has my workshop schedule on it. And it has contact information if you need to reach me directly. So that's uh, jedjedbaker.com. And then my private practice website is socialskillstrainingproject.com. And that's a better website to visit me if you if you want uh, to, um, to 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 see me uh, for consultation or or uh, therapy. That's socialskillsproject.com. Great. And what uh, about your books? Where can we purchase your books? So all the books are available at that website too. Um, but you also can purchase them at any good kind of book website like Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble. Um, but certainly would love to get you to our website so you can see the books and some of the other things. We have some DVDs, some CDs out there, some online uh, webinars as well. That's available at the website. Uh, and lots of practical information, which, Rebecca, we didn't get to do all the actual prevention plans today, but you would find much of that information in the book. Wow. But do you know what that means? What you have to mean? come back. Oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to come back. I'm happy to come back. Fantastic. And I know you're a busy person, so I know it was a little bit tricky to get you this time, but we certainly would love to have you back and then you can elaborate a little bit more. And I, I have the feeling you will continue writing and having new things because I know you have another book that just came up. Uh, it's true. It's sort of a book that compiles lots of my other information and it's updated, uh, but it's being published 
in Germany, but I think they'll have an English version as well. Rebecca, thank you for all that you do and all the good information that you provide your audience. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So the book is No More Meltdowns, Positive Strategies for Managing and Preventing Out-of-Control Behaviors. And the author is Dr. Jed Baker. And you can get this book at either his websites or at Amazon.com. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and it's not to be interpreted as medical advice. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else, but what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshops, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All these could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible, unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com and discover how we can help you help yourself. Caregiversurvival101.com or call 877-957-7387. That again is 877-957-7387. Lifestyle Improvement Radio is now online. Listen to our interviews at your convenience by going to www.lifestyleimprovementradio.com. If you like what you hear and would like to hear more about a specific subject, send us an email to producer at lifestyleimprovement.com and let us know what you think. Support our sponsors and let them know you heard about them at Lifestyle Improvement. Thank you for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part three of our interview with Dr. Jed Baker. Dr. Baker is a psychologist and the director of the Social Skills Training Project, a private organization serving individuals with autism and social communication difficulties. He's on the professional advisory board of Autism Today and several other autism organizations. He's an international instructor on the subject of social skills training and managing of challenging behaviors. He's an award-winning author of nine books. Among them is the book titled, No More Meltdowns, Positive Strategies for Managing and Preventing Out-of-Control Behaviors. Thank you for being with us today, and don't forget to join us again next Sunday morning from 7.30 to 8 for more tips on lifestyle improvement.